Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Mark Fackler with me. Welcome. Thank you, George. Thank you for being here, Mark. Uh, I want to talk about wrestling with you. Uh-oh. Senior, <laughs> senior year in high school, you have lost in the last five seconds. If you could go back in time, what would you say to yourself before that match, just before starting that match? Whoa. Um, that's, uh, it's a complex question because when I was a senior in high school, and actually for many years afterwards, um, I was in a sense a quitter. And so what I would say, of course, is don't quit. But that's just a little too uh, simple of an answer because part of who I am is a person who used to quit and doesn't anymore. So, of course, the the message to everyone out there is is quitting or trying your hardest is a waste of time. Um, and that match, because I did not try my hardest and I did lose, uh, taught me it's better to try really hard and fail than to not try hard. Uh, but that lesson took uh, some... Oh, 12 or 13 more years for me to understand. Yeah, um, I read about you that you, uh, this is according to you, you were an underachiever until you graduated from college. So what changed that, that, change, that, that turned it around for you? I uh, had started a, my company um, when I was 25 or so, a consulting company. And I still would consider myself at that point an underachiever, a slacker, a quitter. And it was a good time to have a engineering consulting company. And there was, uh, I'd hired a couple of good peoples, and so we were having some success. And the very first time a client called and said they were very, very disappointed in what our engineer had did, done for them, and it hit me uh, really hard. And when I received the news uh, from a vice president of mine, I remember walking out of his office and I leaned against the wall and I thought, are you going to, and I was talking to myself, are, are you going to be a quitter, a slacker, an underachiever your entire life? I, I think I was 30 at that time. And uh, something clicked in me. Um, I don't, and it, it went back to that, um, that, that one wrestling match in the state semifinals that I lost because I didn't try. I don't, I don't know what changed. Maybe I was just tired of of hiding and not trying. Um, there were people who counted on me too. Maybe that was a little bit. I had uh, twenty or thirty people working for me at that point. Um, families who counted on the income from the uh, engineer that worked for us. 
So it was time for me to uh, become an adult and uh, and work hard. Okay. Uh, in early 1980, uh, you were uh, working for a defense contractor in Tucson, Arizona, if, if I'm correct. And then you went on to General Dynamics in 82. What did you see and learn that made you want to own your own business at that point? What opportunities uh, you, you saw back then? I had the uh, privilege of uh, working on a uh, a large project at General Dynamics. Uh, we were actually building a cruise missile, and there were hundreds of uh, engineers in all different disciplines on that project. And one of the engineers that worked in my group uh, owned his own consulting company, and I got to know him. And we talked a lot, and I was uh, fascinated at the at what he was doing. Um, he had hired engineers, and then he would let General Dynamics buy those engineers from him, and he'd make some money on it. And I got to know the engineers that worked for him. Um, I got to know the manager that had hired he, uh, this owner, uh, his company, and his engineers, and I actually thought I could just, I could do that. Uh, it seemed possible. Um, so about nine months into that contract, I actually quit General Dynamics and went to work for another, not the same man, but another very small consult consulting company so I could learn the business. And about nine months after that, I started my own company. So in 84, you started uh, state-of-the-art computing uh, later that later became Stalcom. According to an article I read, uh, you said back then the worst thing that could happen was to get fired and lose your house. No big deal, or at least you know you didn't think it was a big deal. Was it really not a big deal? Were you really not afraid, or did you have fears back then too? Um, I was afraid, um, and I uh, I will say that when that fear got too great and it was getting in the way of my ability to make decisions or to move forward. Um, I would ask my wife, uh, is it okay if we lose everything? Uh, we lose our house. We lose all our savings. Um, is it okay if we have to live in the garage of one of our parents? Um, and she would always say yes. And it gave me the courage to continue on. Um, and I, it's interesting, uh, as the company got larger and larger, the, f the situations got uh, more intense, and the fear at times would become overwhelming, and the same question would be asked, uh, even you know, when we had kids even, uh, is it okay if I lose it all? And she always said, yes, we'll rebuild. Uh, it was uh, incredibly valuable for me. Do you think it's necessary for an entrepreneur to be ready to lose everything? Yes. Um, no question about it. Um, an entrepreneur needs to be prepared to fail over and over and over again. And though my company 
didn't go bankrupt ever. My company failed multiple times over the years. And it's devastating. And if you can't wake up the next morning and uh, brush yourself off and go back, uh, the chance of succeeding is minimal because there's failure at every turn. And it's that's just life. And entrepreneurs need to get past that. You You said that one of the reasons your success was the ability – to hire people that are smarter than you. And, you know, we, I hear that all the time. We hear that all the time. I, I'm a little bit struggling with that because how do you know what smart people you need at whatever stage you are in your business? In hindsight, I think it's an easy answer. Um, I was not the greatest salesperson, so therefore I should hire a good salesperson. In the moment, it's not as easy because you're, you're wrapped up in everything. Um, but when I interviewed people and they took uh, control of the interview um, and they dominated me and they dominated the situation – I assumed uh, they were going to fill some hole for me, uh, and they almost always did. Um, if, you, if you spend enough time paying attention to what you do on a daily basis, you'll find that you ignore, at least I should say, I ignored the things that I wasn't so good at. And so those are the types of uh, talents that I look for in hiring, and then of course the 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 gold ring in that, the brass ring, is when you find someone smarter than you. And I did hire countless people who were far more talented than me. I just uh, had to figure out a way to lead them. You mentioned you were not a great salesperson. What what do you think? In terms of developing skill sets for entrepreneurs, how do you know what's a skill set that you need to develop as opposed to hiring somebody for that skill set? In the beginning, an entrepreneur – let me rephrase that. When I started, uh, I was a one-man company. Therefore, I did every single job uh, from answering the phones to opening the mail to – uh, selling, to engineering, to doing the finances. Um, and if you look at how much time you have in a day, um, I was always able to determine what was the easiest task that was the most time-consuming for me to offload and that would be the next hire. So my very first hire, besides engineers, actually, uh, you know, the first uh, seven or eight people I hired were engineers, and I was doing everything, was a salesperson, because it was clear uh, I couldn't do it. And if I did it, I was inefficient at it. So it, it was just so obvious to me that I hire a salesperson, and then a bookkeeper, and then a receptionist, and then an admin, and 
then HR and operations and office managers. And it uh, every time you're just too busy, you have to look at what can you shed um, and where there are talented people out there who can do what you can shed. What were some of the early challenges growing Stalcom? <laughs> uh, I think the greatest early challenge was when I hired um, a vice president who um, I used to work for. He was my boss, and he was smarter, more talented, more aggressive than I was. And that, that the greatest challenge was for me to get out of his way and let him do, his, do the operations, do the sales, and uh, know that he would do it slightly different, but with the same set of core values. And that was, uh, my ego was bruised many, many times. Friends of mine would come and tell me, well, you know this uh, Peter, and I owe him everything because uh, he helped build this company for me. People would tell me, well, Peter is out there in the market saying that he owns the company. And um, at that point, I owned the entire company. I gave stock eventually to Peter and to all the employees, but, and I was insulted by it. Um, and then I, I was complaining about it that to a mentor of mine, and my mentor looked at me and he says, Mark, you have someone who doesn't own any of the company acting like an owner, and you're upset with that? And when I, when I heard it, phrased that way, um, that challenge went away. I shouldn't say it went away. That challenge became so much easier and that I was proud that I had someone who cared so much for the company that he called it his own. And um, so, uh, you know, the your question, what was the most challenging thing? Well, to keep my ego in check and to get out of the way of very, very talented people to do stuff because they do it different than you. So, so far it sounds pretty, pretty smooth, to, you know, style coming in the early years, but what, what were some of the earlier challenges that, that you faced? What, what kept you up at night? Hiring friends and having the client... Uh, 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 having the contract end and it was we didn't guarantee employment to our people but I cared about my engineers they were my friends and to have them become unemployed was uh, brutal and to have the faith in the sales staff that, that they could find new work for them was hard. And uh, we did fail on our salespeople of all the positions that we hired for. Uh, my success rate in salespeople was the worst. Um, maybe because it's a difficult position to fill, uh, maybe because I didn't have a sense 
back then as to what it took to be a great salesperson. But keeping the pipeline full with uh, uh, jobs uh, in the early days was the hardest thing for us to do. Um, finding engineers, good engineers, was easier at that point. We developed a reputation and people wanted to work for us, but finding those jobs for them, um, hiring the right salespeople, that was a constant challenge for me. It's, uh, I want to jump forward a little bit. Um, in, uh, in 2000, Stalcom had 500 employees and 50 million in revenues. What were some of the challenges at that point? What kept you awake I mean, this is a major, major develop. I mean, it's it's an incredible success. Most businesses never even get close to that kind of size and revenue. How would you compare what kept you up at night to the early days of Stalcom? <laughs> the number of zeros at the end of the problem. Uh, when we were doing twenty million, I had a hundred thousand dollar issue facing me where I could just a uh, hundred thousand dollars could just evaporate and it was paralyzing me and one of my advisors who ran a billion dollar company came over and he just sort of patted me on the back and he says Mark you could only hope that in the years to come this hundred thousand dollar problem is a $10 million problem and that you have the resources and the capability and the cash flow and the balance sheet to deal with this. Um, so the size of the problems got um, big, they just got bigger and bigger. But as you work from a small company to a larger company, you get used to that. Um, the most uh, i uh, the most disappointing uh, part of growing the company larger and larger was my inability to communicate with the company like i could when they were 50 or 100 people. There are some studies that says, say when a company crosses 100 that the ability to communicate or the techniques used to communicate to a company have to change. And um, that's very, very frustrating. Uh, you do an employee survey and um, what would come back is we don't know what's happening in the internet division or the hardware division. Uh, you know, we don't know what's happening at corporate. Um, and, you know, occasional uh, Dilbert cartoons being uh, pinned up in people's cubicles, uh, it's embarrassing. Um, and in the early days, that wouldn't have happened because we were all family. And family with 500 people is a really hard thing to do. In '99, uh, you uh, that was uh, I believe 15 years you've been in in business at that point, and you had um, about 30 million in revenue, and you were seeking uh, venture money. But there was a challenge because there was no traditional management in place. 
what was missing from your team? I mean, obviously, it takes a lot to grow a business to $30 million in revenue. What was missing, and how did that professional management team that you put into place change Stalcom? Well, I think you, your, your question answered it in a sense. Um, we were good managers, and we could continue to grow the company. Um, venture capital... Uh, and the uh, public market, in my naivete, expected professional managers, uh, managers from larger companies who had come um, to work for me. And we didn't have that. We were a we were a company that grew. Um, and my employees had been with me for years and years and years. And what we knew was behind us. Um, and we had no idea uh, how to take the company from, say, $50 million to $100 million. And when I finally convinced Venture Capital to give us some money, it was on the condition that we hire people who have been where we're going. And it was, um, uh, it was a cultural change for the organization. Um, uh, an incredible learning experience for me. Uh, and sadly, uh, it, it didn't necessarily work out, uh, but not necessarily because of the managers or the new professional management that we hired, just the world continues to change, and companies sometimes handle those challenges, and sometimes companies don't handle those challenges. How did it not work out? You said, sadly, it did not work out. We, in, um, in 2000, you know, the, the tech bubble um, was getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and our industry um, was becoming a darling of Wall Street. Uh, when we finally um, closed on a second very large round of uh, capital into the company uh, in October of 2000, the world uh, significantly changed in November of 2000. We had um, a ton of money, millions and millions of dollars in our bank account from the uh, capital infusion. We had incredibly talented professional managers, and we were going to go on a path to take this company public. Well, that path um, stopped. The world changed. And when there's that much momentum and that much talent all lined up to take a company public, uh, it's very difficult to change directions, and we didn't. Um, and we lost a lot of money in those uh, next 18 months. Uh, and it was, it was hard on the company, the employees. It was brutal on the market. And uh, we were um, – we got hurt. We survived, but we, we were hurt. Would you, would you have – 
would you change if you could go back? Would you change anything? It sounds like it's difficult for you to talk about this. Uh, how how do you think of of those times? In the beginning, in two thousand one, two thousand and two, I was uh, angry. Um, I had sold a portion of my stock. Um, the significant amount of my stock was still with the company. Uh, the significant part of, uh, I'm going to call it my net worth, was still in the company and in the stock. And as I saw the world changing, um, and I didn't see the company changing as quickly, I was angry and I was embarrassed. However, um, with time comes better understanding and maybe a little bit of wisdom. And what that management did was survive. And I would never change it. Um, at 42 years old, I got a chunk of money uh, that allowed me the freedom not to worry about finances um, and providing for my family. Um, and the second tranche of money never came. And over time, uh, the anger over that second tranche went away because I'm one of the most blessed individuals in the world. And I've had some good times and I've had some bad times and I wouldn't change anything. I, did I make mistakes? Dozens of them. But would I change any of it? No. Even even after you hired a new CEO, this is um, 2000, I, I believe, you still managed to put in 60 hours of work. I think a lot of people that think of hiring a replacement for yourself or another CEO to, to run the company, they don't think of working 60 hours. What drove you at that point? I didn't know anything else. Um, we'll call it an addiction. Um, it was my life uh, was working hard. Um, I knew nothing else except spending time, I, 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 spending time uh, doing things, uh, filling up my day, trying to feel uh, needed and important and valuable. Um, and it took quite. A, it took years. Um, it took a, uh, It took about eighteen months, actually, for me to understand that there was another part of life. Um, and it was uh, not necessary for me to be, I was real even if I didn't work 60 hours a week. That was a very difficult transition is to understand that I was still somebody without the title of CEO and without saying or doing 60 hours a week of work. And in, in 2000, when you hired a new CEO, sold some of your stock and retired, why? I, years before, um, when I was an engineer, uh, I was a self-taught engineer, and I'm a self-taught CEO. I think well, maybe everybody is a self-taught CEO. I don't know. Um, after a while of engineering, I hadn't solved, you know, all the engineering problems in the world, but I had learned how to solve engineering problems. 
when I became a CEO, and then I um, I quit engineering uh, to become a CEO or a professional manager or uh, a manager of a company. Uh, and I didn't know anything in the beginning, and I was a self-taught um CEO. And after a while, I hadn't solved every problem, but I had solved lots of problems. And I learned how to solve problems being a CEO. And in a sense, uh, it wasn't as exciting for me anymore. That's why I started looking around for some venture capital. I thought that would be an interesting path to take. Um, and it was. Um, but uh, after, you know, 16 years of running the company, there was going there was something else for me in the world it's been it's been you know you've been out of the business since 2000 it's 2014 now so it's been quite a few years do you ever feel like doing it all over again or do you ever feel like wanting to be plugged back into that that whole life um i do and it's uh, it was a wonderful life um and for the first few months, it was near impossible for me not to start another business because I saw business opportunities everywhere. Um, and then over the years, um, as I got involved in uh, nonprofits and uh, mentoring, uh, that uh, desire uh, slipped away. Um, interestingly enough, uh, I've started a new business um, a manufacturing business. However, it's um, it's more of a hobby now, as opposed to a passion um, that that takes all of my time and energy. Um, it's something I'm going to do, but it it's not. It, I don't have to succeed in it um, for financial reasons. Um, and that makes it different um, and possibly less likely to succeed because there isn't as much pressure on me. Um, I'm glad I took 14 years off. I'm glad that I've started this new company, and in the last two years, um, I've thought a lot about it. I've done a little bit of the work, but it's nowhere near as far along as Stellcom was in its first two years because shoot, back then I was working 80 to 100 hours a week. Uh, now this company gets 10 to 20 hours a week uh, and there's a, there's a consequence for that. Do you think it's necessary to have your back against the wall to succeed? No, it's an added motivation though. Um, a fear uh, <laughs> uh, fear um, and when you're financially strapped, um, there, that's motivating. Um, paranoia, that's, that's motivating. They're not the most positive um, factors, but they're motivating factors. And when you take away um, the financial need, um, for me... Uh, it's part of it, um, but that's okay. Ten to twenty hours of work uh, uh, work in this company right now works for me. Now, 
what what opportunities do you see today uh, if let's say for some crazy reason you would say you would wake up tomorrow and say you know what I'll, i want to see if 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 i can do it again or if i want to do it again what where would you start what wh where do you see the opportunity in business today well those are two separate questions because where i would start is with something i love um and i loved engineering uh and i and i wanted to create a great engineering company um there's opportunity in my opinion everywhere um no more no less than before uh, circumstances have changed uh, the environment's changed the economy has changed all that has changed but the but the number of opportunities out there is infinite and so for me manufacturing sounds fun um and that's where I'm going to go. So where's the opportunity everywhere? What should you be doing? Something that provides you a great deal of satisfaction and passion. Something that when it's a bad day um, or it's two bad days in a row or three bad days in a row, there's enough love of what you're doing or love of the industry or love of the mission of the company that you can go back uh, day after day after day, even when... Uh, things go wrong and you get knocked down to the ground. Is there anything that you think is still crucial that that we should maybe bring up for somebody either wants to take their business to the next level or start a business or start another business? Uh, some some word of wisdom that you think would be important for them to know? Well, it, it's interesting. Gosh, as uh, we've talked for uh, quite a while now and and. I haven't even I have not mentioned the most important educational tool that um I had in business and that was um joining an uh, an organization called Vistage it was called Tech back then um and conceptually it's a it's um a peer group learning organization and you know I've mentioned a couple of times I'm a self-taught um CEO well that's a little too egotistical of a statement. Um, I listened to a dozen CEOs for 12 years, once a month. I listened to their problems. I told them my problems. And to constantly learn uh, while you're doing the job, I think it was critical for me, and I know it's critical for a lot of other CEOs out there. So, you know, the sharpening the sword, sharpening the saw uh, before you go uh, cut the tree, that's really important to do. Um, cutting the tree all day long, um, you know, it might knock it down, uh, but going back and educating yourself or Sharpening that saw is well worth the time and the money uh, you invest in it. You you mentioned some nonprofit uh, that you're involved with. Can can you talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, uh, conceptually, uh, Social Venture Partners is one. Uh, well, I guess that specifically is Social Venture Partners is one. It, it, for an entrepreneur, it was a great. Um, organization to uh, align with because it's a bunch of executives who want to help other nonprofits. 
I've, I've found that the similarities between nonprofits and for-profits um, is tremendous. The differences are subtle but important. And just as I learned uh, every day at Stellcom running my business, um, every day that I was aligned with social venture partners or other nonprofits, um, it was a learning opportunity, again, to better understand human dynamics, to better understand uh, sales and marketing and operations. Uh, and it's, um, it's a great world out there. Uh, again, in a sense, to sharpen your saw, uh, to keep abreast of the business community. Uh, and I think that nonprofit community offers a tremendous amount of um, opportunity for all for all entrepreneurs uh, a great learning uh, and it's a great way to give back uh, um, san diego was very good to me and um, i will for the rest of my life support san diego nonprofits because i i feel that's my obligation now mark i really appreciate you taking the time today and share the story behind stelcom and how you got there Thanks for, thanks for sharing your wisdom, and I wish you much success with your new ventures and, uh, and in life in general. George, um, the same to you. Thank you for taking the time to uh, talk with me, and um, I wish you great success uh, also in this. Thank you.